Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 41, live from studios throughout the country with Dr. Scott Wright. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? I am wonderful. Rachel Grubbs, co-founder of MAPT. How are you doing? I am excellent. Wonderful. I'm ready to just jump right in, start answering some questions. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do, let's it. do it. All right. So first question says, a rough freshman year, graduated with significant upward trend, started a career working 50 hours per week while taking pre-med classes in a post-bac. First three terms, I received C's, labs and RAs in Gen Chem. Rest of my pre-med courses are B or A including retake of first gen chem C minus I got an a trend is around 34 credits at 3.23 science GPA 3.10 cumulative GPA in map does show to fo- I was told to focus on MCAT and not take more classes. What do you mm. advise? So it sounds like to me that there's some incomplete data here. So 34 credits, what is that trend? Cause B's or A's doesn't tell me much. B's or A's could be a 3.2, 34 yeah. credit trend. Yeah. Um, if it's all yeah. B's or all A's with a B, that's a completely different story than all B's right. with an A. That's right. So I don't know if there's that's enough right. info here to actually give any advice. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult to know. Um, C's, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like they he or she t- retook the uh, – C's uh, in Gen Chem got an A, uh, but with the with the yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a little it's a little too muddled to to know wh- what to say without yeah. more info. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. that's all right. Um, I'm just ooh, I'm adjusting my, my ooh whoa, <laughs> getting all purpley there. <laughs> uh, all right, <laughs> next question here. I have a question about activities. Do all of our activities have to be extracurricular? I'm a music major and plan on using music as one of my most meaningful activities. However, all of my work in music, including ensembles and leadership positions, is for credit. Can I count this? If so, how would I count hours? And would practicing count? Hmm. Hmm. So this is an interesting language one, right? I I think... Yeah. I'm not sure if the activities technically mentions extracurricular activities or just the activity section. Right. I don't know. I always go back to it should be extracurricular, right? But I don't know if that's technically the definition of that section. Because we say – because this this comes up with uh, research uh, more often. And does research in my class count? And my advice on that is always no, that that's curricular. Yeah. Uh, now, if you published a paper or, you know, yeah, then that would be extra. You know, that would be something to note. But yeah. Um, but yeah. Same, same thing with study abroad. I see it all the time. They're like, I want to put my study abroad on there. Like, those are classes. You just happen to do them somewhere else. It's, right. not, it's not like you would put X year in your activity section, like community college <laughs> in right. in Ventura because I went to main college in Los Angeles. Right. It just right, right. it doesn't make sense to to have like if you want to put travel as a hobby, and that's what mm-hmm. I'm always leaning towards for this is like put music as a hobby and count on the hours and do whatever you want there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would surprise me if you're if the student is a music major, and all of my work in music says the question, all of my work in music, including ensembles and leadership positions, is for credit. So you're telling me that you don't you're a music major and you don't do anything 
at yeah. all. I don't practice outside anything outside of class. Of class. <laughs> out, you don't like go jam out with some <laughs> band or, you know, what, whatever. I mean, that would surprise me, but, you know, maybe yeah. so. I don't know. But I, I would say no, it's curricular. Yeah. Student says, I like the new background for Dr. Gray. Yeah, it's just a, it's a different angle of my normal setup. So, uh, well, what about my... my- what about my background? We, well, I mean, hello. Yeah. <laughs> it's not new. Well, okay. That's true. <laughs> Want me. Jealous. Uh, I am a little jealous. My Mine's not new either. It's just a different angle. It's just a like, different angle, yeah. 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 It's just a different angle. Well, I'll have, um, a, new, I'll have a different angle next week then. <laughs> Let's get back uh, to some pre-med QNET. <laughs> next, next question here is, hi, I'm dual enrolled in high school. I dual enrolled in high school and had an awesome experience at a science symposium where my research poster won an award for the best project. I'm really proud of this accomplishment and was wondering if I'd include it in one of my 15 experiences. <laughs> or since it was technically done while I was still a high school student, I cannot. It was for a bio class. Hmm. It was for bio one class during high school, right? Not recommended. I, I don't think there's any like hard rules, but it's like the agreed upon standard that it's anything after high school. Yeah, and and I would also say if if the I'd be interested to know the research poster won an award if it was a category for high school students or if it was a category for college students yeah. that the student won the so best project. Um, if it's for college students, you know, I might put it on there. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> because, because if you, you're, you're, you're putting the grades for the classes in, even though you're in high school, the grades go in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was for a bio class that you're taking for college credit, yeah. this is a gray area. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's a double question, right? Cause it's, it happened in high school and we always say anything after high school for extracurriculars, right. but it's also the, is it an extracurricular because it was for a class that you were taking? So it's, it's that double yeah. question yeah, in there. Good point. Yeah, good point. Uh, tough, yeah. These tough questions. Today. <laughs> Can you please ask us easier questions that we know the answer to? That's, yeah. that's <laughs> you're making us look like fools. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think really it, it highlights the important fact that a lot of a lot of this advice is just approved upon standards that everyone, mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. most part, agrees upon. Right? Yeah. It's like a handshake deal. Hey, just. We're not. We're going to tell everyone only after high school for the activity section. Okay, got right. it. We got that. Right, that's good. Like, will a student be marked off and rejected? Like, oh, my, I see this activities from high school. Yeah, that's just that's a no go for our application, right? No, nobody's going to look at it like that. They may go, "That's weird. I wonder why they yeah. did that." And then they'll look at the the description and go, "Okay, I can see it was meaningful. I'll, I'll let it pass." I know yeah. we typically yeah. don't like. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. And, and I would say if if the student goes ahead and puts it in their activity section as a uh, activity, uh, don't mention. Just say it was. Uh, I did the I did the research as a part as a part of my bio one class. Uh, the research poster won an award for best project. Blah blah blah. And don't say it was my bio class during high school. You yeah, know, just you know. <laughs> A lot of students love shooting themselves in the foot with extra details that didn't. Yes, be there. The, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah, and I think so much of it is like the order in which you present things. Like for years during MCAT prep, one of the questions we would ask is what's what's your cumulative GPA, just to get a sense of the other big stat. And often, not if I was talking to the student, but if I was talking to the student's parent, I would ask mom or dad. Okay, so what's the cumulative GPA for college? And the parent would say, well, in high school, she had a 4.6. And I was like, whatever your next answer is, I'm already worried you're a helicopter parent. You didn't allow your child a chance to develop her own study skills. Yeah, uh, you know, like just don't don't leave with that. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, good point. 
She went to college too far away. I couldn't do her homework for her. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes helicopter parents have perfectly adult, competent children who are just like, just let me be. I'm fine. So yeah. I, I try not to ever like assign a correlation, but I'm like, you're not, you're not leaving with the right fact here. Right. right, <laughs> right, right. Completely. Yeah. Completely. All right, next question. Non-traditional with multiple Ws very early in my academic career. What is the best way to communicate to those experiences? Is a good GPA and high MCAT enough to overlook past mistakes? This is very, it's a, this like pre-med assumption out there that Ws are this huge black mark on an application. And it's just it's like, you have some Ws. Okay, yeah. great. And what have you done since? Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And it's well, like, if you yeah. have a whole semester of W's, they're like, what? They're going to think bad. I'm like, no, they're a human being. They're going to think, hmm, something happened that semester. Yeah. Let's find out what it was. <laughs> let's yeah, let's yeah. ask. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I do think, however, and, and I agree with you, Ryan, but I would say that if, if there are multiple W's that go across some many semesters, in other words, if it's clear that you, because I, I see, I've seen this before, where students sign up for too many classes, yep, and the, and with the intention of dropping a class after they get into the classes and see which ones are the harder ones and which ones are the easier ones or whatever, and they're doing this, you know, semester after semester after semester. There's you know a W almost every semester, and I yep. think sometimes an admissions committee will look at that and say. That they're either manipulating the system or they're not self-aware enough to understand, you know, whatever. So, but you know, yeah. I, in pattern, this case, patterns are pattern. Sketchy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's patterns right. are sketchy. It's like, hey, you took Gen Chem one, withdrew Gen Chem one, a Gen Chem two, withdrew Gen Chem two. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's hey. like mm-hmm. you're you're like testing the waters, getting the yep. syllabus, seeing how it goes, and yep. like doing really poorly getting withdrawal like probably the latest date you can right and starting that next semester kind of with a running start going okay yeah i got this and it's just not yeah. the same so that's yeah. the pattern right w's just generically aren't bad what is the pattern behind them right that could tell a completely different story yeah yeah that's right i agree with that i withdrew a um I withdrew from a music class. I, I'm sad to say because I <laughs> I forgot we had a test one day. And I completely <laughs> missed it, and I was like, "Oops, I'm dropping out of this course because I'm not going to get a good grade." <laughs> oh, so you're talking about every nightmare I've ever had, yeah, right? <laughs> Sh- completely missing the test and showing up to school with no clothes on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, that is it. Uh, next question here. What are your thoughts, recommendations, uh, if I don't have a connection to a school? Okay. I currently live in Florida, but do not want to continue living in Florida. Smart move. I used to be in the Navy. Shout out to all the other fire controlmen out there. I lived in Chicago, Virginia, Hawaii, San Diego. My hometown is Kansas City, Missouri. I have family. and got married in North Carolina. Should I limit applying to those places only? All right. No. So this is a school list question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, I don't think you have to have a connection somehow to a, a community or to a state in order to apply to the school in that, in, you know, in that area or in that state or whatever. Um, you know, I think medical schools are looking all uh, across the gamut at, 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 at students. And uh, now Granted, if it's a public medical school, then there are going to be likely residency issues um, that may make it more difficult. But all in all, I think, no, I I think if you if you if you really like San Diego and you think, wow, going to UCSD would be great, then (laughs) apply there. Yeah. 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 Ties. It's it's interesting, right? For public schools, their their kind of charter, their mission is to train students to practice in that state and hopefully stay in that state to treat its population. So why Texas has a 10% limit on out of state, right? Right. Um, Along with the funding of those schools. And so one of the things that I always want to see more data on is for the 10% of school students, let's say at Texas, right? Texas is a little bit different, but let's say for the 10% of students who are accepted as out of state students, 
who are they? Are they students who used to live in Texas or whose parents live in Texas or whose family lives in Texas and they're there every summer? Right? What, what kind of ties to the state do they potentially have? And, and I, I was trying to get some data from Enrique, and I think the biggest tie that he could find was really high MCAT score, which is kind, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of obvious. It's yeah. like, I'm going to use my out-of-state people to bolster my stats. Yeah. Uh, so that I have higher rankings on US News and World Reports, right? Yeah. Um, and right. so there's there's always some questions out there. I, I think um, ties to a state is for the public out of state schools is definitely something that that may give you a leg up. Mm-hmm. And high stats definitely help for mm-hmm. out of state Correct. public Agreed. schools. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. But to be clear, that's part of why our advice is when you're looking out of state, you should be looking at private schools. Yeah. Yeah. In general. And, and yes. I always, I always, I back off of that advice or I have backed off of that advice lately, or I've put more context around it. Okay. I want students to be informed. And, and I tell them, as long as you understand you've done your homework and you really want to apply, let's say to university of Washington, it's a public out of state school. You're not a resident there. If you do your homework and you see that it's, 15% 15% out of state. I don't know what the numbers are for UW off the top of my head, right? If it's 15% out of state, but you know that, but you still want to apply because it's always been your dream to live in Seattle or you went there once or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't have strong ties, but you would love to be at University of Washington. Then apply. Go for right? it. I, yeah. I'm very much like informed consent, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Terminology yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I always get angry and just at the process in general are students who don't understand what a public out-of-state school is or what they do or who they're looking for but they just look at stats and like their MCAT and GPA and go oh that public out-of-state school matches my stats or I'm above them and so I I have a good good chance of getting in there Mm -hmm. without understanding residency kind of complications and, and how that affects their ability to get in. So I, I continue to add more context around that language so that just like be informed when making your, your list. And if there are schools and you know that it's going to be hard to get into that school as an out-of-state applicant, but you, you understand that, apply. Yeah, yeah go for it. I absolutely agree. Well, I know we've been going mostly in order, but if you want to skip down one, that bridges beautifully with the next but one question, the one that starts without without an MCAT score. Uh, let's see. So without an MCAT score, how can we best go about making a balanced school list? I've been using the MSAR, but without the MCAT, not sure how I can be accurate in putting schools on my list. I'm taking the MCAT May 28th. So I'm going to give you my advice. And Scott, you can uh, disagree with me if you'd like. But... I don't recommend using stats building a list. I recommend actually doing some work and reading lots of uh, reading lots of websites, school mission, vision, using the MSAR for other data outside of MCAT and GPA. So the mm. fact that you don't have an MCAT score has nothing to do with your ability to make a list. Ignore the GPA, ignore the MCAT. Figure out who you are and what you want from your life. If if you want to be outdoors in a sunny area, right? Don't apply to University of Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. It's just some common sense thing. So I always talk about location, weather, um, uh, like t- temperature, weather, not weather or not, whatever. Um, support system. Support system, mm, support system, which is based yeah. on location. Now, location includes a lot of things. It includes weather, support system, uh, proximity to other friends and family that maybe aren't technically part of your support system, but moral support maybe um, for, for those few times you have the ability to go out after a test. Uh, looking at school curriculum, right? A lot of this is where are you going to thrive as a student? And if if you go to a school just because it happens to fit your MCAT and GPA, but it's a curriculum or teaching style, learning style that just doesn't jive with you, you're going to be miserable. Mm-hmm. Right. And so looking at curriculum, looking at looking at that kind of stuff is is really, really important. And then if if you want look at the 10th percentile for MCAT and GPA and go, where am I on this? But even with that, 
even if you're below the 10th percentile, 10% of the class is below that. So that you still have a shot of getting into that school. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, like it goes without saying that you have to be a strong enough student to get in anywhere. And so that's, that's where, in my mind, MCAT and GPA kind of go out the window because you have to be a good enough student in general to get in anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so let me look at everything else to find out where I'm going to be a good student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, in fact, I think <clears throat> I think the easy way out is uh, is is um, you know just looking at MCAT and GPA on the MSR and then making it a school list, but based on that, I think that's an easy way out just because it's quicker. Yeah. I agree with you that you're spending your time doing your homework to look deeply at the uh, the school and and what you know, the area and what the school's mission is and what the curriculum looks like and, you know, et cetera. That's the first thing you do. Not yep. the, you know, not the, well, okay, maybe I'll look at that on a few of these schools after I, you know, decide if I want to uh, apply there or not. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Hey, why do, why do you want to come to our school? Well, I used the MSAR and it said that my stats were good here. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, man, if your score is like a little lower than you thought it would be, what are, what are you going to say now? Um, I will say, because I, I, this comes up a lot, uh, how, do I, how do I make my school list without my MCAT score? Um, I know that this comes up a lot from an MCAT prep stand, standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like MCAT preppers, you know, like I as an MCAT prep advisor would say like, well, are you sure you want to apply when you don't have your MCAT back? And so I understand why this is a confusing, confusing point. And it's because I'm a hope for the best, prepare for the worst kind of person. So when I'm saying that, I'm not saying your school list is going to drastically change on the number. I'm saying like, heaven forbid, knock on wood, whatever. (laughs) What if the alarm doesn't go off? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, what if, I mean, these days with COVID, what if there's a new Shut um, down. Yeah. yeah. So it's more like, what if you don't have a score at all? Then would that change whether or not you wanted to apply this year? And if you're taking the exam in May, probably not. Probably you're just going to hope to take it in June and keep on trucking. Um, yeah. But, but so I sometimes think about it in those terms, but not in terms of like, was I applying to Harvard and now I'm not? Because just med school applications don't work that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yep. All right. Next question here. I hope to apply this cycle and started my post back as a non-trad when COVID began all online courses. So I haven't been able to get any professor letters of recommendations, but have many from my time on active duty, including a physician. Is this an issue? It may be. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, It could be an issue. Um, Yeah. They want to see from the perspective of the uh, faculty um, what do you like as a student? What do you like? You know, how engaged are you? How, how you know, et cetera. And uh, that could that could be a that could be an issue. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how yeah. ad comes, especially for this cycle, because this is the first like really big cycle with a, a year or so of of classes that are going to be a, a lot online, and so students, but. Potentially having a lack of letters of rec. We'll see if schools adjust based on that. I don't know. All right, next question. I am a non-trad pre-med, currently working as a mechanical engineer. I had a 3.9 GPA in my engineering undergrad. Holy moly. (laughs) And need to complete pre-recs, two semesters of biology, OCHEM, and social sciences, interested in DO. Would it be okay for me to complete these courses through online extension schools considering my GPA? Do you think schools would accept letters of rec from engineering professors in lieu of science? Um, I, I, I think they're looking for STEM professors. And uh, so I, I do think that that would be workable um, to, to do, uh, to, to have STEM professors, particularly if that's your major. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that would be a problem. Um, yeah, that, that's that's you know my take on that. Yeah, and then online courses, oh, and that's right. that's kind of the standard right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ideally not online, but with a three point nine undergraduate GPA, um, there's, there's yeah. going to be a big question about your academic ability. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. 
I agree with that. Big picture, big picture. I got kicked out of my first school due to academics. Since then, I've maintained a 4.0 at my new school, 90 credits. When I graduate, if I keep up a 4.0, I'll have a 2.7 cumulative and a 3.2 science GPA. Should I do a post-bac, 50-plus credits to get a 3.0, SMP with linkage, or apply straight to medical school? Taking the MCAT next spring and have lots of great clinical experience. They must have really bombed their first year. <laughs> no, that's and exactly what I was 90, thinking. 90 credits at a 4 0, but they're still only at a 2 7. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Is right. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I don't know I, if you guys saw, but someone else chimed in essentially that they've got the same situation. So you guys should hook up and be friends and like talk about <laughs> how great you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would say go for it. Um, I think trends, I mean, you've got the trends and, and, and an admissions committee that really looks at the, at the, you know, ins and outs of the application. They're going to see that. And, you know, my, my, my feeling is that you're going to be talking about this in your, in your application, either in the personal statement or, you know, in secondaries or, or whatever, you're going to be going down this road of talking about the experience and what happened. And um, so I, I'd say I'd say go for it, you know. Go for it, go for it. Yeah, I I want to create like a a mind map kind of algorithm flowchart. <laughs> one, one of those <laughs> words, a flowchart um, to to really show students the possibility. Now, does every school do this? No, but the potential is there to where they can go. Okay, as applications come in, does the student have a three five cumulative? No. Do they have a 3-5 science? No. Do they have a 3-0 science? No. Well, shoot. All right. We're, we're losing. Do they have a 5-15 MCAT? No. Okay. That's all right. Uh, is their last 50 credit hours at a 3-5 or 3, so whatever that is? Yes. Okay, yes. great. Let's put them in the pile of review. Yeah. Right? And so there's there's the potential that, that yeah. schools have yeah. this ability to review applications based on a lot of different criteria, they're not going to just look at, and, and th- there may be one school that does this, right? But they're not just going to look at 2.7 cumulative GPA rejection. Right. That's, schools have the ability to go, let me look deeper yeah. and, and find out. And then some schools have what they call like the needle in the haystack person of like, let's look at all of the applications of students who we are going to reject and see if we're missing anybody. Really, yeah, see if there's a diamond, diamond in there. Yeah, diamond in the rough. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's there's lots of potential, right? And having 90 credit hours at a 4.0, someone's going to see that. And yeah, um, yeah, agree. And, and that's why I, I just I hate this focus on the final number, like right, because right. that's what everyone talks about. If you go to Reddit or Student Doctor Network, nobody ever puts trends in their questions. It's always I have this GPA. Mm-hmm. When if when I have time, I, I go on Reddit. I, I'll never go on Student Doctor Network, um, but I go on Reddit and I'll say, I don't, I don't know what to tell you because I don't know what the the story is behind that number. Right, that's right. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Non traditional pre med currently serving in the army as an orthopedic specialist. What is the best way to communicate that in my personal statement? I have a lot of clinical experience and have participated in a field hospital activities as well. Is this considered clinical shadowing, et cetera? I feel like it touches on a lot of different areas of experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy. I mean, that's great experience. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Amazing. And uh, so, I, I mean, I think there will be a lot of different areas, certainly in the personal statement, I think would be a very appropriate place to cover, cover some of this stuff. Uh, secondaries, obviously, it may come up. But personal statement, I said, if, if this is where, if this is a part of that story that you know really is about why you know why you got interested in medicine or why you continue to be interested in medicine or why you're committed to it, uh, et cetera, then you got to talk about it, and that that'd be a great place to do it. Thousand percent. Yeah, I think the the mistake is potentially trying to go, hey, I'm an orthopedic specialist in the army, which will prepare me to be a physician because of X, Y, and Z, right? right. It's not necessarily yeah. how it's prepared you to be a physician, but why 
and how is it part of your journey to wanting to be a physician? Right, exactly. That's, that's definitely where it belongs. And then a thousand percent, it's obviously going to be in your activity section as a job. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, follow up to an earlier question here. 3.23 science GPA with 34 credits consisting of about nine A's and three B's. Should I focus on the MCAT? As I was told, or take more post-bat classes? I'm not sure what question that was. Referring. I think that uh, was from our very first, first one, one that we said we couldn't yeah. answer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nine yeah. A's and three B's, 34 yeah. credits. <sighs> if I were to do some quick math on that, what's that probably? It depends on if they're A minuses or not, but let's, let's probably go with their AAs and not A minuses. Yeah. And if they're B pluses, they're just regular Bs, but probably close to a, let's say, 3.5-ish, 3.6-ish maybe. Yeah, the original comment says 3.1 Q. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, we, I just don't know what the trend is for those. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, why should you retake more classes or take more classes yeah. or uh, focus yeah. on the MCAT? Well, I mean, unfortunately, I think that it's not a mutually exclusive issue. Mm -hmm. um, I would say do both. Uh, folk, you know, study for the MCAT and take classes. Now, you maybe not a bunch of classes, but maybe, you know, one or two at the same time you're, focused, you know, you're studying for the MCAT. I mean, a lot of students, I would say the majority, and you could chime in on this, Rachel, mm -hmm. the, probably the majority of students that take the MCAT are doing both at the same time. You know, going to class and studying for the MCAT. Most people who take the MCAT are either going to class and taking the MCAT or working to take the MCAT. I believe from reading the context of the original question asker, yep, she just chimed in. She's working full time. Oh. She's talking about a 50 hour work week. Oh, and maybe right. taking more classes yeah. or a 50 hour work week and doing MCAT prep. Or I guess a third option is trying to do all three, which probably won't go great. No, yeah. yeah. No, no. <laughs> so I guess I, I, I did yeah. some quick math and it looks like it's probably around a three, seven, three, three, seven, four over the last 34 credits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not going to out this person, but I'm logging in. Assuming A's and B's and not necessarily A minuses and B pluses. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I would probably say, I'd probably say focus on the MCAT at least for now and then see what the MCAT does. And that may lead you in one direction or another to apply or to delay a year and take more classes, you know, whenever. But I, I'd say focus on the MCAT. And that'd be my opinion. Yeah. Stupid work, stupid bills. <laughs> All right. Being an adult sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we live in Star Trek world where money doesn't exist? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really unfair the way this system rewards people who have, yeah, you money. know, really financial strong support systems, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, uh, let's see. So separate this question. question. Yeah, there you found it. This question came up. Clinical experience, working with children with autism one-on-one, -on -one, is it clinical experience? So this is a super, super common question, this behavioral technician kind of job. I'm assuming potentially that's what this is, if that's working with children, right? Babysitting a kid with autism, probably not working with, but behavioral kind of health technician working on um, how to redirect and how to potentially um, adjust to situations and, and, every, and other things, right? If that's what the work is, I, I call it clinical. Mm. Right? It's, more, it's more of a psychology kind of job, but it's clinical experience in my mind. Well, to me, it depends a little bit on where this is happening. Um, and maybe that's wrong on my part, but you know, if this is happening in the child's home as opposed yeah, to in a it clinical, usually is yeah behavioral health yeah. technicians usually in a home yeah then I I don't know I I, I would um, I don't know what I would do with that I I would say you know you can do it you can put it at, you can put it as clinical experience but then what you would have to do is be prepared in an interview to defend that. 
If, yeah. if I was your interviewer and I looked at that and I said, okay, I see that you put this as an interview, as a clinical experience. Tell me more about that. Tell me, tell yeah. me why you think that's clinical experience. And so you would need to be able to talk about it in a way that makes, you know, makes your case. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I think it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And, and so behavioral health technician, I see a lot of pre-meds doing it. I, mm. I, I think it's great because, um, you're, you're working one-on-one with the quote unquote patient, um, right, right, right. playing games with them, learning how they're reacting to losing and re- redirecting them and helping them build these kind of skills, life skills to be better, better people and uh, learn how to adjust and communicate. And so there's a lot to it, right? I think this is a thousand percent more clinical experience than what students are doing as a pharmacy technician working at Walgreens. Right. Agreed. Um, yes. Yeah. Agree it's with it's that. definitely atypical. Um, it's definitely, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's a weird kind of niche that I would yeah. definitely, as, as you mentioned, Scott, I put it as clinical and then be just be prepared if someone asks, like, yeah. what is this? And just yeah. just talk about it. And and very similar to kind of going back to what we were mentioning earlier, students love to shoot themselves in the foot with adding extra details that aren't needed. Like if there are non-clinical-ish things that you're doing as a behavioral health technician, just don't don't mention those ones. Right. And focus on the interaction with the, the patient as much right. as possible. The well, and, and you know, and I also think you, you can talk about interaction with the patient with the patient's family because yep. in the in the case of these kids, you're interacting with mom or dad or both, uh, also, yep. and uh, and that's a big part of it. You know, I mean, you know, Ryan, you can you know this better than I do, but the you know the uh, the family members, the the support network of people that are there. Uh, in the ho- hospital or in the clinic or whatever, uh, you know, you're dealing with them just as much sometimes as you are dealing with, particularly with minors, as you are yeah. with, with, uh, you know, with the patient themselves. So, yeah. Percent. Yeah. So would you guys say that this is another example too, of where someone wants to look into maybe getting multiple types of clinical experience? Agreed. Like, this yes. seems to cover a lot of like, the social part of it, which is so important, but you know, you're not getting that like traditional clinical of being a phlebotomist where you're right. learning how to find the vein. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also you're not, you're not witnessing, uh, or I don't think, you know, maybe you are, but I, I don't think you're witnessing other healthcare workers in the same yeah. setting, uh, and seeing what they're, what they're doing with the patients and, yeah. and stuff like that. So I agree with you, Rachel, that having, having a variety of experiences would be, would be good in addition to this one, if possible. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely less big picture. Yeah. 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 Yep. All righty. Oh, wow. It's already, it's already getting late. Time right. flies. Yeah, we, we have a Sun's lot tonight. Sun's yeah. going down here. <laughs> <laughs> the questions came in thick and fast this time. Yeah, right. Boom, boom, boom. We've hit a natural pause point, but this is the first <laughs> one, 41 minutes in. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, I had a, a student today. I was I was uh, doing some interview prep with a, with a student today, mm-hmm. and uh, r- really good uh, – Good student, but non non traditional student who kind of had a, a a little bit of a rocky start, but uh, has done some post you know well has done a considerable amount of post back work and a, a special uh, master's program and and stuff, and uh, and you know one of his questions was, um, you know what what are what are uh, um, medical schools looking for in an interview what you know what, what's what, what what's the purpose of an interview what, what are they looking for and I think that was a really great question and I, I said you know this is really all about um, well this is really about a, a, uh, several things one of which is can you establish rapport with me as an individual it makes it more difficult being virtual but the same thing applies is that can you establish rapport to me and, and and uh, can you know? Are you articulate? Can you vocalize and, and communicate to me what you're thinking and what does your thought process look like? Uh, you know, and so I think for students out there who are in the interview process, because there are still schools that are interviewing and still inviting for interviews, uh, 
so I think uh, I think consider that as a as an important part of your interview uh, of your interview preparation is is getting a smoothness about your uh, your uh, responses and and they and they need to be as as natural as possible. You know, if you if you sound mechanical, you know you're going to sound mechanical, and uh, if you memorize the answers, which I've seen before, that's going to be a problem. You know, I'm, I'm evil, uh, when, which, which you already knew, but when, when I'm doing <laughs> mock interviews with students and I, I can like tell that they're kind of just going off of a script, I'll interrupt them on purpose and see how mm-hmm. they recover. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah, yeah I, I think the I mean, better from you than in real life. Exactly, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think students most of the time over prepare for interviews. Oh, they're, I agree with that. They're trying completely. to be too perfect. They're trying they fr- to yeah. come up with the, the perfect uh, answers that highlight all of the core competencies of the AAAP has. <laughs> and it's just like, just to have a conversation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I've I seen this with interview right. prep too, where students, you know, are like, well, my interview's open. So, you know, you need to look at my application and memorize it. And I'm like, well, you're paying me money to review it. So if that makes you feel really better, I'll, yeah, I'm going to take a good look at it. But just because it's an open interview doesn't mean they've actually spent any time looking at your file. Yeah, that's sometimes right. Sometimes they're hyper meticulous and they have the time. And sometimes they're like, I know what a good doctor looks like. Let's get in there yeah. and meet these folks. That's right. So like you don't want to like it's we've always said anything in the application is fair play. But you also can't assume that they've seen anything in the application. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You can't assume that they read it, even if it's a a close, uh, open file interview. That yeah. doesn't mean that they read it. It means that yep. they have access to it. it. Doesn't mean they read it. Yep. And uh, you know they may have been on call last night or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I've seen too many students because it's an open interview. And they assume that the interviewer has read the application. They'll get a question and they'll, they'll think in the side of their head going, well, I already answered that in a secondary essay or in my primary application. So I'm going to give a different answer than what is the uh-huh. right answer or the best answer <laughs> just because I probably already talked about it. Right? <laughs> don't, don't do that. No, no assumptions. <laughs> answer the question. Yep. Yeah. No assumptions. Or... Don't be cocky and say, well, as I said in my application, oh, I hate that. <laughs> oh not good. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> uh, a little passive aggressive. I would be so tempted <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and I wouldn't even mean it as passive aggressive. I would just mean like, well, I'm going to repeat myself now, but it's still true. <laughs> so I appreciate that tip. <laughs> yep. um, all right. We got a couple more. Good. When would it be too early to start thinking about med school? Diapers? Diapers. (laughs) (laughs) Womb. Womb. (laughs) Uh, I don't don't understand the question. And well, the friends who say letters of rec, thinking of MCAT, making college lists. I mean, this person is is in the MAPS group. I'm assuming they're watching this. So they're thinking about med school. I I don't understand the question. You know, I I wish more students start started really thinking about it at that level uh, as a freshman and, uh, and really, you know, you know, thinking about the schedule of things, how does this play out? Thinking about what am I getting out of my classes? You know, the sort of this idea of reflection, Uh, you know, making, making a list of things that are important to me about uh, a medical school that I would want to see, you know, et cetera. I, you know, I think that's, you know, I, I wish more freshmen would be thinking about it that way. Certainly, yeah. uh, it would be helpful. Or for our non-traditional friends, three to four years out. Yeah, absolutely. That, good, good point, Rachel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this was hotly debated last week. It was. But it's come up again. I, I saw this one. So if you work as a nurse and interact with patients or physicians, do you still need to shadow? And the the results of the poll came in. It was two thirds yes, one third no. So the yays have it. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Scott Scott liked to, Scott liked adding in a lot of, but you can't make these assumptions. <laughs> yeah. 
We could have a whole sidebar about what does it look like when it's a doctor on your committee and what does it look like when it's an education right. expert on your committee and you might be getting a good glimpse of the differences between Ryan and Scott. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Ryan, yeah. I think it's safe to get at least a little bit of shadowing. To a little bit. To be safe. Yeah. A little bit. Um, here's a nice comment I'll share. Happy Women's Day. Oh, yes, Day. definitely. I do identify as a woman, but happy happy Women's Day to everyone. Yes, <laughs> definitely. With that, oh, I appreciate whoever did that. With This is month of, I think this is Women's History Month, isn't it? Well, today is International Women's yeah, Day. Right, but I think this is Women's History Month in the U.S. or something like that, um, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, I shared on my Instagram a technique called amplification that definitely started among women, but is cool for anywhere, which is essentially if there's someone in the room who you think is being underestimated, just repeat what they said and say their name. Mm -hmm. So like, you know what, Scott, I hear you. Even though Ryan and I disagree with you, you feel that if someone's got 5,000 hours of clinical and they were working closely with doctors, they might not need shadowing, right? Like that's an example of amplification. I'm making sure your point yes. was heard. Yes. Um, but so anyway, if you guys are interested in that, uh, go check out my Instagram. I think it's such a cool technique. It's just a way of mm -hmm. sort of lifting your peers. Yeah. There you go. Oh, we have uh, We question. got time for one more. One more, yeah. Unamas, is there ever a time you would recommend an SMP after doing a postback? After 37 postback units at a 4.0, an advisor told me I might need an SMP because my cumulative GPA is a 3.22. Science GPA is a 3.05. This is where I typically go, your advisor doesn't know a lot. Right. <laughs> right. Unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if anything, 37 postback hours. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good body of postback work. I would yep. say, if anything, maybe take a few more classes postback, and then, and then, uh, you know, um, but yeah, exactly. I don't. I, I. I just don't see the point of a of a uh, special master's program for that. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I was on this rant earlier. I was recording a bunch of Ask Dr. Gray episodes, and uh, I was on a rant earlier. Uh, I, I think I saved probably $100,000 of student loans from students who were going to do a postback program. And I was like, don't, like you don't need a postback program. Right? Yeah, At the end of the yeah. day, you have to ask yourself, what is the goal of an SMP? Mm -hmm. The goal of an SMP is to prove that you are academically capable of doing well in medical school. Mm -hmm. With 37 yep. postback credits at a 4.0, right? And Scott, you, you always talk about 45 as kind of a good yeah. number to get to. Mm -hmm. You have proven to probably the far majority of schools out there that you are academically capable of medical school. Right. Yeah. And, and we're obviously not parsing all of these classes. It could be maybe, maybe all of their postback classes were uh, art classes. Right. And, and yeah. So <laughs> let's assume right. they're hard sciences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 37 postback credits at a 4.0. You've proven already that you are academically capable. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that the goal of a postback or an SMP is to get to a certain GPA. And that's just not the case. The case is, are you academically capable right now, right here? And yes, when you struggle early on, your final numbers aren't going to look great. And so I always have to tell students, like, just stop looking at those numbers because you're never going to be impressed right. by them. Right. But again, going back to how medical schools can parse and divide and, and just divvy up all of these numbers, they can see that you are now a 4.0 student in your last 37 credit hours. And yep. that is how a lot of schools will look at you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <sighs> but a that's lot right. of advice out there still built on, oh, your, your GPA, yeah. your mm -hmm. number is not good enough. And that's just yep. like, I can't. <laughs> I can't. And keep in, you know, keep in mind, too, that the, the application services are crafting GPAs in – Cutting it up in a lot of different ways. The the medical schools aren't just getting one GPA or two GPAs. They're point. they're getting so many GPA. You know, so they're looking at at this GPA in a lot of different ways. One of which is you know last sixty hours, last fifty hours, whatever. Uh, they're looking at postback GPA. You know, they're looking at a lot of GP, 
GPA cutups. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Ryan. Don't focus on that, that one number. Yeah. Medical schools understand that students have ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And I, I always, I love talking about University of Illinois uh, the director of admissions there, I had her on the podcast a while ago. I think it was episode 288. And she talked about how University of Illinois, they understand that life happens, right? You're a college student. You go through a bad breakup, right? Your first true mm-hmm. love dumps you or you have a death in the family or something bad happens. They understand that life happens. And yep. so part of University of Illinois' process is they can – Take your sophomore year. Let's say you you started off at a three six, and then you went down to like a two eight, and then you came back up to a three five, and finished at a three seven. Right? They can take that two GPA and throw it in the trash, mm-hmm. and recalculate your GPA without that that year in there. Schools have the ability to do whatever they want and yep. look at look at stats however they want, and so that final number just isn't a number to look at. Yep. Right everybody live and hopefully a lot of people who are watching the replay um, if you go to your dashboard and then do GPA detail we tried to give you a sample of that but this is just a few examples of the many variations that Ryan was just talking about so you can at least look at your cumulative rolling by year and then I'll scroll down a little here's class standing GPA I'm a big fan of this one especially when we're talking about trends, right? Mm-hmm. So in this particular example, someone's undergrad cum is 3.3, you know, not, not amazing, not horrible. But you can see that they had a rough freshman year and then it just yeah. skyrocketed. Yeah. yeah. So that tells a story that says, you know, that is different than a 3.3. Yep. Yep. And so a student just asked, will MAP have a 60-hour or other GPA calculation? We have the ability on the back end for feedback, which we're working on. Uh, but yeah, we can we can definitely have more graphs on this GPA detail page, more tables and graphs and mm-hmm. trying to parse up the, uh, the information as much as possible. Yep. Yeah. Good question. Thank you for the feedback. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Another ask the dean in the books. We're coming up yep. on uh, coming up on a year in a few months. I know. Getting there. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Getting there. Getting tired, yep. of you guys. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, the love feeling it. is definitely <laughs> not mutual. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for spending some more time with us today, asking some great questions. Uh, as always, there are forty other episodes of Ask the Dean out there, if not more, with some different special episodes here and there. So, yeah. go check those out at mapped.tv. Uh, and if you're watching this on replay, go get a free map account if you haven't yeah. already. Yeah. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.